Welcome to Encounter. This is Encounter. Um, uh, as you can tell from the fact I've lost a dog collar somewhere this afternoon. Uh, this is rather more chilled and relaxed than this morning was. Um, great service this morning, and it was really good to see many people there. Um, but this is my, the, the whole point of this. It's in the, the, the names in the title. It's about encountering Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say some stuff first. And some of this comes out of where I'm at um, at the moment, I think. But I think... Um, so I was in I was in Portugal, um, uh, at a little town called Sintra. Actually, the same weekend, weirdly, that uh, Laurie and Wendy were in Portugal. I was there for a for a wedding of a of a young man who's now 35, but when he was 14, 15, was a really naughty boy, uh, and I spent a lot of time keeping him on vaguely the straight and narrow. Um, some great stories uh, about Staz. Um, and I was there, I was there and, and I had a whole, really a whole day by myself before, I mean, before I did the wedding. Um, and as you do when you're, when you're abroad, um, you go and find a cafe and you have uh, breakfast. Um, uh, and um, the coffee wasn't actually that brilliant, to be honest. <laughs> uh, um, I've got someone in our congregation has taught me to be very choosy about coffee and it's not... <laughs> It's not entirely a good thing, actually. But, uh, but the croissant was brilliant. And, and I found myself, um, and you may have done this, so I'm you know, in this little cafe, in this square in Sintra, and I find myself almost, I don't know, almost subconsciously checking that I've got my passport, my wallet, and my phone. Has anyone got the experience? Where, like, you have to keep doing it, do you know? And although, I mean, I mean, I... I Doing it once when you left the hotel is one thing. Well, it wasn't a hotel. It was a really weird place I stayed in. Um, I totally recommend it. But it was like a, it was like a sort of um, youth hostel, B&B. Um, we had individual bedrooms, but it was like a shared, you know, kitchen and bathroom and stuff. And mostly it was uh, young, you know, um, I don't know what you call it, backpackers and stuff and things. I was, I was probably three times older than anyone else there. But it's quite f- cool. So I had to go for my breakfast. But leaving the hotel, I get it. But I'd sit there at the table. And after about, you know, 20 minutes, I'd do it again. i think, what am I doing? And it made me think about security. It made me think and be challenged a bit about, about our security and where our security lies. And for me, I'm afraid, at that point, those were the symbols of my security, right? I've got my passport, I've got my wallet, I've got my phone, everything else can, can, can go. Because spiritually, it's slightly weird, isn't it? Because spiritually, where's our security? And you see, I'm going to think, actually, it's so true it is. And in a way, I wonder sometimes whether this, the absolute security we have in Jesus, we know we can't lose it. I can lose my phone. I can lose my wallet. In fact, if I had my keys, I would have lost them probably, but I had no keys to lose. But you can't lose Jesus, can you? I mean, and I wonder sometimes whether, whether as we get it in our heads that we are absolutely safe with Jesus, which is absolutely true, whether sometimes that makes us be more worried about our temporal, our physical security, which distracts from trusting that security. Do you get that? I very seldom sat there and thought, oh, Jesus, where are you? Because he was there. <laughs> you know, I didn't go phone, wallet, passport, Jesus. Right? I don't, again, I, I speak to my, from my why weakness here. And then I was reading, and this, the Bible, obviously, you do um, uh, in Portugal. 
And this, I've, I've preached on this here actually not so long ago. I can't remember why or when, but this came up. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Do not dwell on the past. The past is important because it's in the past we know the truth of what God's done. Amen? But this verse says, don't dwell on it because God is doing a new thing. I want to talk about that tonight. I want to talk a little bit. The landing point is to moving to the new thing God's calling, you often have to let go of stuff that's good and maybe your security. Do you get that? Let's pray. Father, I just want to pray as we come into your presence now, as we open your word together. Father, may my words do nothing more than point people to the truth in your word. May your spirit take them. Resonate them with people. Holy Spirit, as you want to. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak truth. Challenge. Encourage. As is your sovereign right. Amen. And that thought then grew into what I'm going to say now, and I prayed about it and thought about it, and just some other stuff, about this sense that, that God's doing a new thing. And, and Jesus, and God says, do you not perceive it? He tells us not to dwell on the past, but to, do you not perceive it? Do you not get? Well, I do get. Actually, where we are as a church, oh, I'm sorry, this is something this is local, okay? I hope it lands for you too. As a church, I do get. It's a new season, amen? Do you get that sense of almost being on the verge of something? That's, that's what I spiritually get. Uh, the sense of almost, it's, it's going to happen. And um, it's been a quite a long preparation time, in a way. But there's so much stuff that's become revelation and prophecy. And it feels like, like the new thing's like almost uh, here, but not quite. And I think sometimes, like I say, the word for me anyway, and of course I'm in a weirdo place because I'm, I'm, I'm moving. Um, uh, our, house, our house sold so quickly, I almost think that's God like saying, okay, get a flipping move on. <laughs> it's taking you three years to hear this. Sort it out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but we are moving. And in one sense, I don't want to go. Because there's great stuff happening. And it came, my head, it came to this verse, this passage rather, in Deuteronomy. Uh, is that the right one? Uh, so I'm going to read some of this stuff, and um, I'm going to say some things about it. It's about my, Moses, all right? And Moses is speaking here, and he's speaking to the people of Israel. Almost the whole of Deuteronomy really is about Moses giving his final charge to the people of Israel before he goes, all right? A lot of it's about rules and things, and a lot of it's quite deep stuff about God fighting their battles. At that time, he says, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all the Lord your God has done to these two kings. It's Og and Bashan. The Lord will do the same to all the kin, woes, kings, of something or other. Well, that's gone there. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Sorry about the D missing out. At that time, Moses says, I pleaded with the Lord, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness. You have begun to show your servant your greatness. This is Moses. He's like being on the mountain. He's like seen the fire. He's done the ten plagues of Egypt thing. He's seen like his staff turn to a snake. He's seen water from the rock. He's seen God by speaking at the Ten Commandments. He's gone that tenth of meeting where God meets him face to face. And what Moses says is, you've begun to show your servant your greatness. 
There's so much more of God. How much, you know, it, there's that thing again resonates with me from, from C.S. Lewis in the, in the last battle. When, you know, Aslan says, come on further in and higher up. However much we know, how much we've got of what God is, there is more. And Moses, after whatever it is, 100 odd years, no, 40 years leading the people of Israel, and he's 120 years old when he dies, he can still say, you've begun to show your servant your greatness. That's amazing. Just amazing. Um, but Moses, you see, he said, I pleaded with the Lord. You've begun to show your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do deeds and mighty works like you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. His, he knows that the people of Israel are on the verge of going to the promised land. They've done the 40 years wandering around the wilderness because of that generation that disobeyed, right? And they're on the verge of going in. Moses' whole life, in a way, his whole work has been to get the people out of Egypt and to bring them into the promised land. Amen? And, and they're almost there. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And Moses, with everything, he says, I pleaded with the Lord. I, wanna, I want to go and be part of that. Amen? I so get that. It's so human in a way, right? It's almost, I mean, I paraphrase a bit. Lord, I've done all the hard stuff. I've done the 40 years wandering in the desert and these rabble people, and now the good stuff's coming and you're telling me I'm not going to do it. It's so, it's, it's so human in a way, but I don't think it's wrong in the sense that, that Moses, he's seen what God, he's begun to see his greatness and he wants to see more of it because he sees God's promises working out. And he sort of knows. He's got that faith thing where he knows what God said will happen. Amen? If God says it, it will happen. Trouble is, timescales sometimes get in the way. Sometimes our timescales are not God's timescales. We want things now. And sometimes it takes longer than we think. I've, I've lots of words to say about that as well. In fact, I've got one spare encounter before I go, and I might end up doing stuff about time, just speculatively then. But, but I think time's really interesting, the way we perceive it. And, and, and very often, I think a lot of God's miracles that we see, a lot of God's intervention, we see in the synchronicity, in the things happening at the same time, just at the right moment. Right? Time is really clever in the way it works, the way God controls it. And, and, and they will take the promised land and they'll go and they'll have great victories. But in a way, it won't really be finished for 2,000 years until Jesus does it. That's what's going to happen. Moses can't know that. You've begun to show me your greatness. He's some, seen somewhat God's doing and doing. He doesn't know the whole story. But he wants to be part of it. Do you want to be part of what God's doing? And I think that's great. And for me, um, let's be honest about this, I, I've, I've um, you know, 30-odd years ago, uh, we felt it was right to redevelop the power center. I mean, that's not, doesn't, that doesn't require revelation, just walk in the building and looking how crumbly it is. And, and now, um, when Laurie came, was, was it your first year here, that, where that meeting in your kitchen with a bloke from the diocese who suddenly said, yeah, of course you can. Yeah. Every time we tried to do anything, the diocese said no. Yeah. Yeah. No, they'd always said no. They always said you can't do it. And suddenly they said, yeah, well, I suppose you could. Because <laughs> they own a lot of the land. It hasn't happened yet. But it's going to happen. 
Because we went into that absolutely in response to what God said. Worldly, it's pretty stupid. Worldly, it was pretty stupid, this bunch of Israelites leaving Egypt, getting free, and going into Canaan your land. Well, we did it by revelation. It'll be, but I, I want to I see it. I suppose, assuming the times God's work out, I may see it. But I won't be here. And therefore, I resonate with this with that, with, with, with personally with Moses. But I think it's almost deeper than that. And I think, in a way, part of Moses, and I'm, I'm now speculating, and if it doesn't land right, that's fine, but I think partly Moses here, he's done a great job. He's led people of Israel, and it's a new phase coming. The way it's been done in the past isn't going to be the way it's been done in the future. Do you get? Joshua is the new leader, but he's not Moses. The role that's going to happen and the way that people are going to be managed and stuff and what's going to happen in the, in the land is different. A new season is coming. And old leadership has to make way for new leadership in that sense. Now, some people, Joshua, has been part of the old and part of the new. But I think for Moses, I think, I think what's in God's heart, part of it is, yeah, you've done your, you, that's great. But it's a new season. I'm doing a new thing. And I think some of us, we have to let go of some of our securities and entitlements and things from the past to move into what God's calling us to do. I think this church is doing that, by the way. But I want to encourage you, personally and as a group, to push into that. I'll say some things later on and go, God says this. Love what God says. <clears throat> but because of, of you, the Lord was angry with me. Sorry, still Moses, sorry. Because of you, the Lord was angry with me. <laughs> would not listen to me. Uh, firstly, that's a bit that's a bit rich, Moses. Actually, it was you who made the mistake. To be fair, you know, it was you who didn't quite obey what God said at the rock. But he says because of you, <laughs> I suppose he's sort of thinking, you know, if you'd have been a better bunch of people, uh, it would have been easy for me anyway. But let's leave it. Let's leave it. But God says this is that is enough. Do not speak any more to me anymore about this matter. It's not the first time this has come up that God's told him that. And, and sometimes, again, in passing, I want to say, sometimes we so much want stuff, and God has, you know, God has said, no, just get off it. Just get over it. And sometimes we don't understand entirely. We don't know what's good for us. We don't know why God said no, but sometimes that's what the answer we get in prayer for things. I don't think there's any sense of God telling Moses off. He's just saying that's enough. You know, it's, it's settled. This matter's settled. But what God is, what God does, is there's two things here, which one of which he says and one of which he does, which are beautiful. So he says to Moses, okay, you, you won't go into it, because, but you can go and see. You go, you're, look, go into Pisgah, look west and north and south and east. That's a really weird thing to do, by the way, never mind. Uh, look at the land in your own eyes since you're not going to cross this Jordan, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So he stayed in the valley near Beth Peor, and he goes on in Deuteronomy talking about it. And, it's, and then towards the end, there's a passage I'll probably quote where he actually does do it and, and dies. That's the first thing God says, they can see it. You may, not be, you, part, you may not be part of the actual conquest of it, you may not go with the people, but you can see what it's like. I'll give you a vision of the future. 
I'll give you a picture, a prophecy, a, a sight of the land that I put aside for my people. I, I pray this evening, one of the things that I pray for us is that we get some sight of what St. Helens looks like as God blesses us. That makes sense? I don't think we need it. If Moses hadn't got that, that Joshua would still have got in and conquered the land, do you get? But I think sometimes it's really quite helpful to have a view of where you're going. And we've had so many words about, about you know, the prodigals coming in and growth and revival, but it's not the revival we saw in the last hundred years or whatever. It's a different sort of revival, isn't it? It, it somehow be different. I, I, I just, one thing I want to pray for us as a congregation, as a group, is that we begin to see a bit. We go to Pisgah and receive north, south, east and west, the land that God's giving to us, the shape of it. And the second thing is this. Moses doesn't know it, but he will stand on a mountain in Israel. When's that? At the Transfiguration, when he'll discuss with Jesus the final consummation of that, the victory over all victories. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? When he pleads with the Lord to go into this good land, God sort of delivers on an amazing way. That's Moses. And towards the end, I think I quoted the bit in the end, did I? I can't see my slides. Here we go. Uh, this is the, the end of Deuteronomy. There on the mountain that you climb, you will die and be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. For the waters of Meribah Keresh, in the wilderness of Zin, both of you broke faith with me. No one quite knows what they did quite, by the way. The, the text is really confusing. They didn't obey God properly and they showed no faith. But exactly how, it's not at all clear. But there was something they did wrong. Uh, Brother, by failing to treat me as holy in the presence, although you shall see from a distance that land, you shall not enter it. So that's Moses, and that's, that resonated with me a bit, like I say, about this desire to see what God's doing and recognising that sometimes that's not where we're going to call to be. And be willing to let go, for me to let go of some stuff. But then I talk about other people in the, in the sort of whole text. There's loads of them, actually. I've, I'm, this is wrong, by the way. I'm, I'm sorry, I've got the wrong word in the next one. You have to correct it, but... Job, what does Job have to let go of? You see, that's what I first thought. But in a way he doesn't, because that's taken from him, isn't it? That's just taken from him. What I think, in a way, is at the end of the story, he has to let go his right to understand. All that book, all those arguments backwards and forwards about, you know what I mean? And at the end of the day, what does God do? He just talks about his glory. He just talks about how fantastic God is. And Moses, what do you think? Oh, sorry, Job, what do you think you are by comparison? Job says, I just stand in awe. I think sometimes we have to let go of our right to understand. Do you get that? And for a rationally educated physics degree holder, mathematician in my soul, spreadsheet loving me, that's hard work at times because I want to understand. When my wife says, my internet doesn't work, I want to know why doesn't it work in detail, because I want to fix it, do you get? And part of my understanding how things work is so I can fix them. That's why at the moment I've got this, like I say, flesh-eating virus, you may pray for me later if you like. I want to understand why it's happening so I can deal with it and treat it. But sometimes, church, we have to let go of our right to understand and just say, he is the Lord. What he says is good. 
And sometimes it'll become clear later on why it was good. And we'll say, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> That's why God took us that way. And sometimes maybe we won't. We're not called to understand what God does. We're called to be obedient to what he tells us to do. We're called to hear what he says and then to flip and do it. Sometimes we will get it because God is very, very consistent in the way he does. And he'll never work out a line of scripture, but sometimes we'll think, I don't get this, Lord. Why are you telling me to do this? Job. I put the wrong words here. I'm sorry. It says something else. What's that? Yeah, self-righteousness a bit. And then I thought about Jacob. Remember Jacob? Uh, <laughs> he has to let, what does he have to let go of? Jacob, he's, Jacob is the schemer. Jacob is the one who gets his, you know, the, does the thing with the birthright and the pottage and stuff to get his birthright, get his Esau disenchanted. So he goes to, goes to get this woman, goes off, and, and, and he gets that sort of out, out trick, doesn't he, by Laban, remember? See, I think Jacob has to, willing to let go of his sense of control. There's a bit in the story when he comes back, when, he has to, when he's wrestled by an angel or whatever else. And then he has to meet his brother. He's absolutely terrified. Because he hasn't seen Esau since he, did, since he dealt with him really badly. Sorry, Laurie's made a note, so that, is that all right? <laughs> um, and, 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 uh, you know, and he's always been sort of being in control of stuff, and things have worked out, and now suddenly he has no idea. And he's in a place where God's met him, and he's, like being, he's limping because God's done that thing with his thigh. And now he's meeting his brother. And I think for Jacob, the thing he had to let go of was his sense of control. After that, life is different for him. In fact, it looks after that as almost as if, rather than him managing things, events happen. He's sort of out of control. Some of us, and I speak to myself, most of all probably, have to let go of our desire to control things. It's a stronghold we talk about, isn't it, control? And, it's, and it's, very, it's very pervasive because, because it often is a good thing to do. To be honest, if I control things, they work well. Woo, look at what you say. <laughs> it's wrong. It's not truth, okay? That's, that's what I feel. But we have to let go. We have to let go. We, I think as a church, to do the new stuff, the new stuff God's calling us to, we're going to have to let go a bit of our control and be willing to run it a little bit by... Holy Spirit, and like faith, and like, I don't know what's happening, but we'll do it. I say we, and I mean we, but in two months, I mean you. <laughs> Whether I'll have more courage to say difficult things in the next two months, watch this space. Anyway, let a control. Uh, the third person I thought was David. And he has this really obvious thing because he just wants to glorify God by building the temple, remember? It's in really in his heart. Is that a bad thing? I, again, it resonates because I want to build a parish centre. Right? I can think of all the great things in ministry we can do when we've got it. David, bless David, he is such, I mean, he's got so many bad things. He gets his, you know, he has an affair and gets, them, gets his, the, her husband killed and all that stuff. But but in the end of the day, when God says, not for you, it's for Solomon, he says, yeah, fine. I love the way he just accepts it. It's a great desire. It's a great thing to want to do. But it ain't part of God's plan. Or maybe it's for someone else for the future. 
Here's a little go of that vision of what God's called, what's got to do, to do for God in a way. It's not you, David. And then, oh, so many of them, but I, oh, yeah. <laughs> this could go on a long time. But I split it into three talks, don't worry. And then the disciples. They struck me as well. It's so hard to know exactly what the backstory is. How much have they seen Jesus before he says, leave your nets, follow me, and fish the member. The way the Gospels record it, it looks like it's pretty much instant. It's the beginning of the ministry, isn't it? My word, were they leaving security to follow this itinerant preacher? I bet they had no idea quite where it's going to end up or how they're going to fund their next meal. And it's clear that they found security in fishing. The way they go back to fishing after the resurrection, you know, that thing in John before when he meets them on the beach. That's where the security was, back to their fishing boats and stuff. And actually, in, in some of their cases, the sons of Zebedee, presumably they left their dad in the business. I don't know how that went down either. But they definitely illustrate, it seems to me, losing their security for Jesus. I mean, again, I level with you. I don't know how I'd cope if I was actually asked to lose everything. I know my heart is to want to give my life to Jesus. Absolutely. And as far as I know, he's never called me to lose it all. <clears throat> how would I have responded if Jesus had come to Channel the staff room and said, Follow me. And I popped into to Mark's office and said, I'm off. Uh, Don't know. But sometimes, out of that letting go, out of that willingness to let go of everything they knew, Jesus builds a team of people for whom. The world gets revolutionised, that launches the gospel on the day of Pentecost coming up soon. And that's amazing what achieves through that. Jesus himself is, of course, the great example. I don't think you see much about that, really. That thing in Colossians, didn't it? You know, we laid, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be hugged to himself, but gave up everything. You see, it, in the end, it all comes from Jesus. <laughs> It all comes from Jesus. He's the model in everything. He's the model who's willing to let go of what he had to be obedient to his father, to go into the world. And, and I don't, again, I'd, I'd love to know. I, I mean, I don't know if I get the chance to sort of have those conversations, but presumably when he's 30 and does the ministry, he's got some idea, but presumably, what's it like being a 12-year-old Jesus? What do you know of what? I, I, just, I think it's astonishing. I mean, having taught 12-year-olds, basically, all 12-year-old boys anyway, all they seem to worry about is football and farting, to put it um, briefly. But, <laughs> sorry? And food, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Jesus lets go of the right to be the Son of God. Well, he is the Son of God, sorry. All the status that comes with that, because he gets born in a stable for us. So there's some examples. You'll find more if you think through it. Of the way God calls his people, sometimes challenges them to say this thing. Sometimes the good things to let go. To let go 
because to, you have to move to the new stuff. You sometimes have got to let go of the past. Now, here we go. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm not sure I'll do the slides for this. So I think that there are some, when I prayed about this and thought about this and then prayed some more about it and made some notes, um, I suppose from my perspective, having been here for a long time, I think our church is being called, or has been called, is, is letting go of some of these things. It's letting go of financial security. For the first time, I think, ever, while I've been involved, we haven't had a couple hundred thousand pounds in a bank account somewhere. Yeah? Is that, I think... I think that's an important letting go. Someone, um, I won't tell this in detail, but someone um, uh, I was talking, praying with, oh, I will say who it was, it's my Nick, my son, um, and we've been praying about various stuff. This is some time ago, before we started the building project, and, uh, we, and, he, and he phoned me next day and said, I had this vision last night, he said, of a, of a bear eating a lion. I said, ooh, Really? And uh, we prayed that bit more. And at the time, I didn't quite get it. And he said it wasn't scary. I just think that was telling me, I, didn't, I, didn't, I shared it with Glory, I think, but not very widely. I think that was, that was someone saying, look, financial stuff is going to look like it's taking over. Bear, financial loss, isn't it? You know, the, the getting to planning has taken all our reserves. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. <laughs> In the world's eyes, it's a bad thing. And that, like, did you get? PCC worry about it sometimes, some of them. But I think that word for me was say, don't worry about it. You're going to use all the resources. Those saved up resources are going to go in getting this thing sorted. I've looked back a couple of times and thought, yeah, Lord, thank you for warning me about that. Because I'm the sort of person who might have got worried about that, who might have felt we should keep some reserves. Because we have staff. And if I haven't got any reserves, what happens if, no one's, if people start giving money? We've got to pay our staff. Roth, don't worry, we're going to pay you. Mm -hmm. Amen? It's not just faith, you understand? It's not just faith for me. It's faith for, on behalf of other people. I think Stalens has been letting go of that worldly security. I put here size and status. You know, many of us were here when we were the biggest church in the area, bar none. Bigger than all the other churches in the area, to some extent. And status, we had all, you know, the, the stuff went on here, right? This is still an awesome bunch of God's people, because all the people in the area you meet, if they know Jesus, they don't do the same sort of stuff of, of seeing what God's doing. And being there doing for it, they're not, they haven't got that sense of openness and the Holy Spirit and revelation. Some of them are well down the line and some are meh. But, but we're, this is an awesome bunch of people. But it's no longer the biggest church. Amen? It just isn't. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, in a way, it's a good thing. I mean, I pray that in the future, we become, you know, I don't know what it'll look like. It won't probably look like it did 30 years ago. Because revival won't come that way. But I think we've had to let go of that sense of, we are pretty good. We are pretty cool. <laughs> Do you agree? And you might think of other things, that God's called us to let go. Why? Not that money in itself is wrong. You can use it in good ways. And not that being big is wrong. It's that you've got to let go of some of the old, so you open to the new stuff. Because if you hang on to the old stuff, you can't do the new stuff. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Don't dwell on the former things. I think the congregations, 
have had to let go of some of their entitlements. <laughs> Grudgingly at times. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like, you know, dragging, I don't know, dragging um, pom bears away from my grandson. Oh, my grandson. Oh, my days. Oh. He has got so good. We went into Tesco's. We went into Tesco's for some or other, and we passed the rack where the pom bears were. He's ten months old, no, ten and a half months old, and he goes. <laughs> he, he does this thing in, the, in those carriers where he shakes every limb. Do you know what I mean by that? He gets really excited. We only passed the pom bears. How does he know? You can't walk. I can't walk into town with him anymore through the car park because as soon as you get the corner of the car park. He sees the playground and goes, <laughs> I have to go a different anyway, but how do I go to that? Oh, yeah. Some, so <laughs> taking pom bears away from me is really hard work. <laughs> he actually discovers biscuits and chocolate. Anyway. And I think, it's been, I think it's been difficult. I think the congregation that meet here, and I've met here for the last, whatever, 30-odd years, some of them, that's true. Letting go of their entitlement to the sort of service they like has been really tough. I really, I really affirm and bless those who've been able to do it. Actually, it's not been easy. Letting go of our, of our entitlements often isn't easy. Letting go of our security isn't easy. Letting go of lots of stuff is not always easy, but it's sometimes what God calls us to. And I'm sorry, that's what this evening's about. And for the Beacon congregation, we didn't really give them much choice. But it will be different here. A little bit that links to the whole size, massive, you know, stuff. You know what I mean? We're a church that plants congregation type things. You know what I mean? A bit links to that. But also, there is a difference. I mean, in a way, the main difference is that seating's not racked. <laughs> the acoustic's good and the sound works every time. But it, it is different. We won't be in a big school. We won't, have a, we won't have a sports hall to go and play football and cricket in afterwards. There's an entitlement maybe there as well. I think um, when Laurie was away, actually, we, we prayed a lot about this, didn't we? It came quite a lot, didn't it, in Revelation, about it, seeing it as an entitlement before we really got the, the clarity of the call. The call to unity is the core thing. Next week begins a new season. It's not an old season. New season, and I don't know exactly what God's doing. I really pray that God will help us. We all see, we see, we see what God's doing. We can see in Revelation, but I just pray we can see clearly. I pray He'll take some of us up Pisgah, and we can look north, south, east, and west and see the lie of the land. Because I think it would help. All right. But it's a new thing. And, and there'll be some people, I suspect, who'll find difficult to go of stuff. But that's what we've got to do. And then I think I'll put it as well. Individual. See, for me, the main thing I've been challenged about is security. I suppose it's also identity, really. Here, everyone knows me. It's sometimes annoying when you walk through the high street and you get... I can walk through the high street and be stopped three times from one end to the other by people saying, oh, Mr. Clare, John speaks up. I have no idea who John is. Well, you, are, you are, no idea. Having worked in a school for 49 years and been in the church for that length of time, I've got a status. I mean, <laughs> it's not a very impressive status, you know, but, <laughs> but it, it is. And, 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 and I'm going, I don't know what I'm going to be. 
I, I'm really praying that I can walk into a church on the first Sunday where, where we're going to go, and no one knows me at all. If there's some pest there who I taught... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm real, okay? I mean, it may not be good, but... And, and letting go, that's, uh, is my identity tied up in that? Because my identity is actually hidden in Christ. The only thing that matters is that Jesus called me, and I responded, and I followed Jesus. And that is... Uh, massive. I'm a, I'm a son of the king. The king calls me friend. That's where my status is. That's my identity. But we collect this, this, these statuses around us, don't we? And they give us security and a feeling of belonging, a feeling of place and a feeling it's okay. And, and, and I've been challenged by that. I don't think I wanted to, to go in that sense, really. There's something very nice about everyone thinking you're cool. Even if they're, they don't know half the truth sometimes. But for me, that's been really that security, letting that go. Because God has called us on. I, I, as sure as, you know, I mean, in a way, I think I've told this story before, I told the story here some time ago, you know, that that's why I would say, always say, keep your notes from your prayer appointments, because this was clear to the people who do my prayer appointments, thank you, Denise, uh, several prayer appointments ago, but they didn't tell me, they just said it was obvious. I didn't see it until it became very obvious, um, and then I looked back and thought, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what God was saying, you know, beginning of COVID, I just couldn't quite hear it. And that's cool, because time is weird like that. God is incredibly gracious. He says in Isaiah uh, 60, something rather, I've held out my hands all day long to a rebellious and disobedient people. Let that land. The sovereign God has held out his hands all day long to a rebellious and disobedient people. Grace is holding out those hand and waiting for you. Come. And of course, if you do it from a Jesus point of view, the hands have holes in them. I've held out my hands all day long to rebellious and disobedient people. Wanting, just give me your time. Come on, come on, come on. There's something, something almost, something very deep about the way God doesn't force, he invites. There's something very deep about the way he encourages us and calls us in, but doesn't make us. He respects us. He loves us so much. But when you do respond, boy, it's right. And that's where I'm going to land this, really. Um, I think we have... Oh, I'll come back to that again. Don't forget that. But I'm going to land on this thing from Philippians. Uh, there's this, this actually... There's one continuous talk here, but I broke it into, into two or three bits because it takes a long time otherwise. But uh, this almost lands where I want to start next time. What is more... Paul writes, I consider everything a loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That's what my security is. Everything else is rubbish. Amen? I just, got to, I just want to believe that. I just want to act that and live that. I know it. I know it. But I want to live it. Everything is lost because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. We see, I have really because I've consigned them. <laughs> 
but I still have some of them in my possession. And I have to let, be willing to let go of whatever God tells me to. And so that's, you've got to be willing to let go of some stuff so you can move on. Let's take a moment. And maybe for some of us, that resonates directly and personally. You see, God always has good stuff for us. And if he tells us to let go of the palm bears, there's always something better he wants to put in our hand. When our, when our vision is only on the palm bears, it's difficult to let go. But we need to do what God tells us to. We need to let go of the stuff that holds us back. Some of the stuff's been good to go forward into the new thing God's doing, both individually for us, as couples, as families, and as church family here.